The scripture reading for this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Please stand for the reading of God's word. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why don't we go ahead and pray? Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning and your word is open before us, we pray that by your spirit, you would be speaking to us through it, that our lives might be changed, that our hope in you would grow, that our love for you would deepen, and that the cross and the great message that it contains for us would resonate more deeply within us and through us. And we ask this in the name of the one who went there for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, if you watched the Super Bowl, you saw uh, among a number of uh, other ads, the two ads from the He Gets Us campaign, a uh, campaign in which uh, a nonprofit group of mostly anonymous folks are attempting to present to the, to the world uh, a fresh perspective, a, a new picture of who Jesus Christ is. $20 million were spent to air those two ads on the Super Bowl, during the Super Bowl. Uh, the ads have been running on broadcast media, through social media, uh, ever since, even prior to that, and, and still to this day, they are expected to spend close to a billion dollars on this ad campaign. This is what they say about their agenda at their website. Our agenda at He Gets Us is to move beyond the mess of our current cultural moment to a place where all of us are invited to rediscover the love story of Jesus. We look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance in often overlooked moments and themes from his life. I've only watched a couple of the other videos beyond the ones that were uh, on the uh, Super Bowl, that aired during the Super Bowl. Um, and, and they're doing what they say that they're going to do. They give uh, another picture of Jesus is, who Jesus is. They really emphasize his humanity. And in particular, they focus on how there has never been anyone in the history of the world like Jesus Christ. There's no one who's ever loved like him. There's, there's no one who is as compassionate as he is. There's, there's no one who understands what we face in this world like he does, all these things are true, of course. However, what you won't find in the videos is any mention of the cross, any mention of sin, any mention of God's wrath and judgment, any mention of hell. I went to their website. I was hoping that what I would find there was a clear presentation of the gospel, something that said, Something to the effect of, here's what it really means for Jesus to get us. And instead, it was more of the same. 
The gospel was almost completely absent. I say almost because I did find it. I had to dig. You had to get back through several uh, you know, layers, and then there was a link to a 39-day devotional. Um, and, and on day 37, there was a gospel presentation. But you have to ask, who would make it that far? Nowhere on the, the videos and the main pages that you would hit when you got to the website, again, was there any mention of the cross. $20 million spent on Super Bowl ads. Nearly a billion spent on this ad in its entirety. And the offense of the cross avoided. It's tragic. It's tragic. Paul went to great lengths to make sure the offense of the cross was front and center. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he said, as he wrote to them, it was before you that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Another way to put that, I placarded Jesus before you. I made sure that what you saw in me, what you heard from me, was Christ crucified. That was the main thing I was about. Paul said, when I was with you. And then the epistle to Galatians is all about the cross. The Scottish theologian James Denny said, the aim of the epistle to the Galatians is to show that all Christianity is contained in the cross. The Galatians were turning away from the very heart of Christianity, the cross. Paul was facing immense persecution because he was proclaiming the cross. We're called to proclaim the cross. We will face persecution. We are called to keep our eyes on the cross. And like the Galatians, we easily turn away. Why? Why is that? Paul gives us some clues in this passage. We're going to look at it under the following three headings. First, why the message of the cross must be preached. Why the message of the cross must be preached. Second, why the message of the cross offends. Why the message of the cross offends. And then third, where the offense of the cross must lead where the offense of the cross must lead. So first, why the message of the cross must be preached? Why, why must the message of the cross be preached to the world? Because the cross is the heart of the gospel. Not the love of Jesus. Even though there has never been anyone more loving than Jesus. That's not the heart of the gospel. Not the teaching of Jesus, even though people marveled at his teaching. His teaching, as important as it is, is not at the heart of the gospel message. Not his ethics, not the, not the Sermon on the Mount, the great kingdom ethics that are contained there. That's not at the heart of the Christian message. That's not at the heart of the gospel. Not, not the example of Jesus, someone who was so long-suffering, so patient, so, so faithful in his interactions with people. Not even the example of Christ, not even the miracles of Jesus are at the heart of the gospel. 
All those things serve to focus our attention on what is at the heart of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible's absolutely clear on this. When you look at Luke chapter 1 and you read um, Zechariah, who's relaying to those after he's unmuted what the message of the, the angel was to him concerning the birth of his son, John the Baptist, and the message that John the Baptist would proclaim concerning Jesus. And what the angel was letting Zechariah know and Zechariah was announcing to everyone else, finally our Redeemer is here. God has come to redeem his people like he promised that he would. John, in John chapter 1, this very same John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, in Mark 1, went about preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, and the reason we're going to Jerusalem is because I must, be, I must suffer, I must be killed, and on the third day I will rise. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus held up the bread and said, this bread is my body broken for you, this cup, my blood shed for you. We commemorate that every single week that we're together. That message, the central message of Christianity, the cross, continues to be proclaimed to this very day. Revelation chapter 1, to him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. The gospel, the very heart of the gospel is the cross. This was the message the apostle Paul was committed to proclaiming everywhere he went. I already mentioned Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, where he kept the crucifixion of Christ before them all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says to the church in Corinth, I labored to make sure that I knew nothing among you but Christ crucified. That's what you saw in me, what you heard from me. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 said, I delivered to you as of first importance. It wouldn't have been buried at Paul's website. It would have been right there on the homepage. I delivered to you as of first importance importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and this message must be preached to the ends of the earth why because it is the only means by which a person may be saved this message of the cross is the only hope for the world it's the only hope for the world. People perish apart from faith in the message of the cross. But why must we preach the cross to ourselves as Christians? Because that's, that's what Paul's doing. He's writing to a bunch of Christians. Why must we preach the gospel of the cross to ourselves? Well, Because like the Galatians, we so quickly turn away from it. We so quickly turn away to our self-salvation projects so that we can have some level of assurance that we're on the right track. We can have some level of assurance that, that we're okay with God because we've done X, Y, or Z. We, we can have some measure of, of pride in what we're doing because we've done these things. That's what was happening in Galatia. Paul 
hits it in chapter 5, verse 7. Take a look with me. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So this picture, you were running well. Who boxed you in? Who hindered you? It's, a, it's, a, it's two Greek words that come together to mean cut in. Who cut in on you? Racing in that day was not oval. You know, it wasn't like an oval track. It was to the pole and back. That's, that's what it looked like for them to have running races. And Paul envisions that, and he said, who was it? Who were these people who, as you were running this race, obeying the truth of the gospel, that kind of boxed you in and kept you from actually making progress? Well, this, of course, it's the people that he's been addressing uh, all along, these, these Judaizers who have come in and said, The message of the cross is not enough. Believe that, but if you will do these things, then you can be sure that you're saved. Divert your eyes over to this self-salvation project. They were actually also saying, divert your eyes to us so that you can kind of, you know, see us as the great people that we are. And in so doing, they were averting their gaze from Jesus Christ. They were averting their gaze from the cross. They were averting their gaze from the only hope of their salvation because as we saw last week, it's either all of Christ or none of Christ. There's no Jesus plus when it comes to our salvation. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves, the gospel of the cross. We need to keep the cross ever before us because when we don't, we so easily slip into the kind of self-salvation projects that the church in Galatia was slipping into. We have that proclivity within us. We want to be able to say we've contributed in some way. You, you know that's true when you think about your own life. You know it's true when you're exceptionally proud of the the great things that you've done over the past week in terms of your Bible study or the the ways in which you've served the church or even just the ways in which you've thought well of people who don't think well of you. We pat ourselves on the back. That's an indication that at some level you've given yourself over to a self-salvation project. The cross is no longer in your view. Maybe it's in your peripheries, but it's not in your view. It's not front and center. Your works are. It's also true when you're absolutely devastated because you know you haven't thought about that person the way you should be thinking about them. You know you haven't been faithful to reading the Bible the way in which you feel like you should be faithful to read the Bible. And you feel as though God must be disappointed with you. Again, the cross is not in view. If there's anything that says God is no longer disappointed in you, it's the cross. And yet our eyes are no longer on the cross. Something else has taken its place. We need to keep the cross ever before us as Christians. We need to point one another to the cross. Like Paul, we must proclaim the message of the cross even though it causes offense. Like Paul, we must remember that it's the only way a person can be saved. Like the Galatians, we must hear it continually. The message of the cross must be preached. But why does this message offend? Look at me, look with me at verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. That word offense is a very strong word. The idea bound up there is one of, of hatred, of, of vitriol, of, 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 of great and deep animosity, of 
bitterness, of resentment, of contempt. This isn't just a little bit of mild offense, you know, a little bit of a a side eye or an eye roll or whatever the case may be or writing someone off. This is like what we so often see on the news, the way people hate each other for different reasons and are shouting each other's face for different reasons. This is the offense of the cross that's being envisioned. That kind of a response because of this message that's being proclaimed. Why is it such a great offense? Paul dealt with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he says concerning Jews and Greeks, which was the audience, the people that he was proclaiming the message to, it was the world. Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. A stumbling block to Jews because they were so confident in themselves, in their standing, in their status as people who were God's people. People who had been the ones who were given the promises to Abraham and through Abraham, the promises passing right down to them. Confidence that simply because of who they were, God must be pleased with them. Simply because they were keeping the law, God must be pleased with them. And this message of the cross comes along and says, that has nothing to do with it. You have the privilege of, of having had these promises. You, you have the privilege that those Gentiles haven't had of, of being raised to know the one true God, but you're not going to be saved through your works. You're not going to be saved because of your status, your identity, the privilege of having these great promises passed down to you through the generations. You will be saved as those Old Testament words have said all along. You'll be saved by grace through faith in the Messiah who is coming. And the Jews said, that's not our Messiah. Not a weak Messiah. Not a Messiah who hangs on a cross and dies. That's not the Messiah we've been anticipating. And you're saying that one who is clearly cursed by God is the one whom we are to actually find our salvation in? Scandalon. Scandal to the Jews. Folly to the Greeks. You know, the Greeks were you know, more of a cerebral type, right? They're philosophers. They, they wanted to see the teaching, the, the unifying theory that tied everything together in the most beautiful and poetic of ways. And here's this message about a guy, you know, from a backwards nation who went to the very cross that no Roman citizen would ever hang on. And it's in him? He died. Oh, and you're saying he rose? It's in him that we're going to be saved? Absolute folly to Greeks. Stumbling block to Jews. What about in our age? You know, the the great desire in our age today, in the secular age in which we live, is is this sense of the exaltation of the self, of of self-fulfillment, of being able to see the self triumph. (laughs) The cross says, die to yourself. Right? The cross of Jesus Christ says, if you're going to triumph, it's going to be not in exalting yourself, but in dying to yourself, in finding your life in, in Christ, not, not within you. This is the message that to this very day, just as it did then, offends. But where must the offense of the cross lead? Paul actually tells us in Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes this, 
in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He boasts in the cross. I listened to a sermon this week by Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I think is just an amazing preacher. (laughs) Go to the MLJ Trust online and listen to all of his sermons. He's talking about this very passage in Galatians 5, and specifically verse 11. And then he points over to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, and what he says there is something that we need to hear. If you've really heard the message of the cross, you will either have the one response or the other. It will either be the most offensive, odious, repulsive thing that you have ever heard because it cuts against your pride, or it will be something that, more literally, you glory in. You rejoice in. It's either one or the other. Lloyd-Jones says this, you will never understand the significance of what happened there on that cross until you are clear about who it was who was dying there. This is Jesus. The eternal second person of the Trinity The Son of God, the one who knew nothing but perfect love and fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. When God created, simply out of love, a world and a people who then fell into sin, God, out of love for this fallen world and a fallen people that he would give to his Son, said, I want to save those people. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, said, I will go. I'll go. For the joy set before him, the author of Hebrews tells us, Jesus Christ went to the cross. God was hanging there. The God-man was hanging there in our place. This wasn't just a guy. This wasn't just a carpenter. This wasn't just somebody who was exceptionally gifted, who had lived an exemplary life, who who was a very loving person. This was the very Son of God who went to the cross for you. You who couldn't save yourself. You and I who were running as fast as we could in the opposite direction, wanting nothing to do with this God who is pursuing us in order to reconcile us to him. And having been captured and caught by him, we have the opportunity now to glory in this cross. Because of the cross, you are forgiven. Because of the cross, you are adopted into the family of God. Because of the cross, you have been reconciled to God. Because of the cross, you are a citizen now of heaven. Because of the cross, your hope is anchored in heaven because that's where Jesus is. Because of the cross, you can be waiting and watching for Christ's return on that great day when he comes and all things are made new. Because of the cross, that is true. Because of the cross, you know how to die. Have you thought about that? 
You're able to die now without fear. Because when you look at the cross and you see the one who was hanging there, you are reminded that God is just and he is faithful. He will not pour out on you what he's already poured out on his son. So even though death is a horrendous thing, it is not wrath for those who die in Christ. And because that cross is empty and the tomb is empty and Christ is risen, you are able to be reminded as you look at that empty cross that death is just a passageway into a better and more glorious day. All of this because of the cross. All of it. Don't hide the cross. Boast in it. Glory in it. Rest in it. Rejoice in it. What does the cross mean to you? What effect has it had on you? It must be one or the other if we've really heard the message of the cross. Have you really heard the message? We're going to sing in just a minute, when I survey the wondrous cross, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. We need to sing songs like this in order to remind ourselves and one another as we sing it of what's true. The, th- the things that we believe, but oh God, help our unbelief. We're taken back to the cross. We go together to the cross as we hear the word, as we come to the table, as we sing the songs, we're reminded of what's true, precisely because our gaze turns away from the cross to any number of other things, some of which are good, some of which are evil. We call each other by God's grace back to the cross, and we call each other because God is calling us back to the cross. Preach the cross. Preach it to yourself, preach it to your spouse, preach it to your kids, preach it to your parents, preach it to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. It will cost you. You will have to die to yourself if you believe the message of the cross. You will. If you believe it and you preach it, you will have to die to yourself. You will have to die to your desire to be liked. You may have to die to the desire that you have, that we all have, simply to be treated fairly in this world. But it is the only hope of those to whom you preach. And it must be your greatest joy. This the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us. What a love! What a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to set before us always the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, the message that it gives us, one that humbles us to the dust and yet elevates us to the highest of heavens. Because there we see what it costs for us to be forgiven, but we also see there what you were willing to pay to have us as your own. Let that message cheer us, delight us, that we might want nothing more than to tell people of it. Or give us strength. We're weak. We avert our gaze from this greatest truth, the gospel, the cross. 
We look to any number of other things. Thank you for calling us back. Thank you for the weekly rhythm of Sabbath worship and rest in which we are able to be reminded by your spirit, through your word, through the fellowship that we enjoy with one another, through the teaching of what life is really all about, this cross by which we are saved, at the foot of which we rest, even as we call others to join us there. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.